You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Tony Meyer. For more information on other LifePoint Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. So glad each and every one of you are here this morning. Truly, um, as we pray, out, pray throughout the week for our weekend gathering, it's like we truly believe that God ordains this moment, and there's never a wasted moment in the kingdom of God, but instead he's got, your, he's got your number, he's calling you by name, and this morning there's something special for you, and so we're just so glad that you are here, that you did brave the elements. Uh, we're so glad, so glad. Um, this morning, it's a special morning, for, just because you're here, but also because we are going to be introducing our new associate pastor, Tony Meyer. He's going to bring the word. We are discovering the power of prayer as a church. God has been really igniting a fresh urgency in our hearts as a congregation in our church family for prayer. That we, we, have, we have this moment, this, this short moment on this earth to co-labor with Christ in the place of prayer. And so God has been establishing our church in that foundational uh, you know, kingdom uh, principle of prayer. And so Pastor Tony's gonna come bring the, bring the word this morning, but I just wanna give context to him in the role that he is stepping into. He is going to be overseeing discipleship and leadership development in our church, uh, which really means his, his mission is to empower more people to step into the kingdom of God, moving more people from participants, I mean from attenders to participants, to, to be activated in the kingdom of Jesus and the mission of God. And so uh, it's, it's a very broad role, but it's, it's foundational to the future of our church. And so we're really excited about him stepping into that role and for the future that God has for us as a church, Amen. Amen. You guys got to. You guys got to thaw out. You guys got to warm up. So would, would would you welcome Pastor Tony as he comes and brings the word? Hey everybody. All right. Um, you probably noticed some changes uh, on the platform here. Got acoustic drums. It's awesome. We uh, spent a lot of time this week building that thing. JF's literal blood is on it. Uh, and so, but bear with us over the next couple of weeks. I know it's different and uh, we're, it takes a little while to get the, the sound and everything tweaked. So just bear with us. And if you have any complaints, just talk to Pastor Drew. <laughs> Uh, we just are so, man, we, we're just so um, excited, honored to be able to serve at LifePoint Church. And uh, we, we came from Iowa City uh, and served at Life Church. And so we're at LifePoint. So I've just been laying in bed at night saying, LifePoint, 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 not Life Church, Life Church. So if you hear me say Life Church, just insert, uh, just correct it in your own mind that I said LifePoint, all right, please. And, um, We've just so, uh, you've just been so welcoming to us, so inviting to us, and uh, it's our third week, third Sunday here, and uh, just so loved, uh, two out of the last three weeks have been awesome, and so we're just, we're glad to be, um, be able to serve. You know, this morning I have just the incredible honor, the thrill to do something I've never done before, and that is to share from my heart uh, out of uh, Pastor Drew's book. Isn't that awesome that you have a pastor that would say, uh, as allow the Holy Spirit to stir in his heart to gift this church with such an amazing tool as this book. I think that's amazing. So if you haven't, uh, if you don't have a copy of this, they're free of charge for you. So uh, I think they're in the lobby or in the back or just anywhere and everywhere. Uh, just pick one up, please. It's such a, such a treasure. I remember in, in mid to late October, he called me and he was like, 
uh, Tony, I, I think I want to write a book. And I was like, wow, awesome. That's great. I think you should. And uh, in my mind, I'm like, well, it takes like, it would take me like two years probably to write a book that was coherent, right? And uh, he's like, yeah, I really want to write a book on prayer, uh, like a, uh, just a gift to our church, a pastor's heart for prayer for our church. And I'm like, man, that sounds amazing. He's like, and I really want it to be for the week of prayer, which is in early January. And I said, and I said to him, it's October. And he goes, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But I, I got up at four in the morning today, and I wrote the first two and a half chapters. I thought, oh, okay, we'll be all right then. And then a couple of weeks later, he had the first draft to me, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is such, such a gift. Um, I don't know if you know this about Pastor Drew, but he is ridiculously smart. And so, but he has an amazing ability to take concepts and make it for someone that's not so smart like me to be able to, to really understand complex t uh, topics in, in, a, in a very real way that I can use in my life. And so this book has stirred me. I hope it stirs you as well. And so this morning, we're just going to read chapter 7. I'm just going to read it out loud to you guys. No, just kidding. Not really. That was a joke, guys. Okay. <clears throat> but uh, I'm going to share from my heart on uh, a, um, Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke, is, if you're not familiar, Luke is the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And so, go ahead and turn your Bible, uh, turn there. Also, it'll be on the screen behind me. Um, I love this story because it's such a story of a desperate, of, of desperation that 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 spurs spurs on persistence. And I, I think God uh, is looking for a desperate faith. Have you ever in your life have you ever been desperate? I know sometimes we thought we were desperate, but really we weren't. Have you ever found yourself in just a dire situation that there was really no? No other answer but God coming through. I mean, I know I have. Have you ever in your life uh, been really hungry? Like literally hungry, not spiritually, like literally hungry. Desperation can cause us to do all sorts of things, not, sometimes not good. I, there's been times in my life where I've, I've been really hungry. And those of you who know me, there's like two things that get me irritable. One is being hungry, and the other is just driving, period. And... Uh, so, but I have the Holy Spirit in the car seat, a little four-year-old Holy Spirit in the car seat that <laughs> keeps me on track. And, uh, but have you ever gone to the fridge and opened up the fridge and you're so hungry and you look in the fridge and there's like, you forgot to go grocery shopping and there's nothing in there. So what do we do? We close the fridge, we go over to the cupboard, right, in the pantry, open the pantry and we, we look in there. Oh no, there's nothing in there. So now what we do is we close the cupboard and we go back to the fridge but we've lowered our standards. <laughs> Right? And so we open the fridge and we look in there and we're like, oh, it's still nothing there. Then we back and forth until we find ourselves eating you know, carrot sticks dipped in mayonnaise over the, you know, over the sink or something. We lower our standards because of our desperate state of hunger. The cool thing about uh, the kingdom of God is that with him, in our state of desperation, we don't have to lower our standard. We don't have to ask God for less because of our desperate state. Instead, God is hoping that this desperation or the situations that we find ourselves in would, 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 would rather spur us on to a, a greater faith and greater persistence to move on. Because the truth is this morning that God uses desperate people. God uses desperate people. Those that would... You use their desperation to cause them 
to have a greater faith in who God is and his ability to work in our lives and our situation. If you read the gospel, there's not a whole lot that impressed Jesus. I mean, what do you, I mean, he's fully God, fully man. The one who created all, how do you impress him, right? He wasn't impressed by the Pharisees' uh, the costumes that they would wear. He wasn't impressed by their religion. He wasn't impressed by their ability to know the scriptures inside and out. That wasn't impressive to him. But the thing that we see that Jesus was impressed by was when people would come to him with this faith, like the woman with the issue of blood who would come to to him and say, there's no other answer but you, Jesus. There's nothing else that can help me. There's no other plan. There's no other way but you. And it said over and over again that Jesus marveled at their faith. He marveled at their faith. I don't know about you, but when God looks at my little life, I want him to marvel at the faith that my ability to believe this God who is capable of, of doing the impossible, that I can believe that he can do the impossible, and I'm, and I'm contending for that place. I'm contending for that, and I'm not going to lower my standards, but in fact, I'm going to ask for bigger and better things. In Luke chapter 18, we uh, read this parable, and a parable is just a story that Jesus would tell. Um, and he's talking to first century Jews, so for some of us, these parables or stories, we're look, they don't make really a lot of sense to us. This, however, is not one of them. Um, in verse 1 of chapter 18, it says this. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he said to them, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Let's stop there. So the cool thing about this parable is Jesus, he sets up the intent of the parable right away. The intent of this parable, the purpose of this parable is so that we ought to continue on in prayer, persist in that place of prayer and not lose heart. Other, other versions say that they won't go, grow weary or that you, so you won't grow faint. Have you ever been praying for something? Have you ever been contending for something with God and you grow weary? I have. So right away he tells us the purpose of this is so you won't go weary. Another version says, another translation says, so you won't lose courage. To me that means that we, we, we lose courage in asking God for certain things. So we, again, we lower our standards. So the purpose is that, that we would continue on in, in a place of prayer and not grow weary. And so right away, God, uh, Jesus, he sets up this dynamic, uh, this power dynamic. We have this judge who he says is not a good person. He doesn't care about reputation. He doesn't care what people think about him. He doesn't care about doing the right thing in the eyes of God or doing the right thing at all. He, and he holds all the power. And then we have this, this widow. And so in, in, in that culture, in that society, widows had little to no rights. Even wealthy widows, they just they didn't, they didn't have any rights. They weren't able to do anything, advocate for themselves, stand up for themselves. And so... Jesus sets up this impossible situation between someone with all the power and someone with none. And it's important to note that, that Jesus isn't comparing this judge to God, but it, instead he's, he's actually contra- contrasting. He's giving us a poor example of someone, and then he's, he's going to show us later that God is so great, God is so amazing, and nothing like this judge. The, fi- the thing I find interesting is that Throughout the Gospels, Jesus, he uses this example of widows. Uh, he likens us to, to widows, those who uh, have no rights, who are completely dependent on someone else. He, he also calls us little children, and he's not being condescending. He also calls us sheep. 
And I think for some of us, we see a little fluffy sheep and we think, oh, that's really cool that he calls us that. And honestly, it's not, that's not really a flattering term to be called a sheep because sheep are not smart. Sheep are completely defenseless without a shepherd. The thing is, is with widows and, and, and little children and, and, and sheep, they're, they're completely dependent on someone else. And I think that's the place that God wants us to be where we would be completely dependent on him. You know, this journey with him is, is an amazing gift that he gives us because, like I've said before, he doesn't need us for this. But he loves, he derives such pleasure from involving us in the things that he does and who he is. And we get to co-labor with him. And he does the heavy lifting, right? But there's still something required from us. There's a responsibility that we have to give everything that we have, even if it seems small. There was a time where uh, it was right after Thanksgiving and we were getting ready to put up our Christmas tree, which after Thanksgiving is the appropriate time to be putting up your Christmas tree. And uh, so I went out to the garage to get our Christmas tree out from storage. And I know some of you here, it would be sacrilegious to have a fake Christmas tree, but we got a great deal on Black Friday. Martha Stewart makes a great Christmas tree. And so we, I was out in the garage, and I pulled this huge box down and pulled it down, and I see two little feet, and it's our four-year-old. At that time, she was three. She goes, Dad, can I help you carry it? And I said, oh, sure. And so I, I it has these big handles. I leaned down, and I picked it up, and she's on the end, and she's lifting with all her might. But, I mean, we're honest, right? I'm carrying it, right? And uh, so we get it downstairs, and we, we start taking it out, putting it together, and uh, start fluffing the very lifelike branches. <laughs> and Evie's in and out helping and as much as she can, and then the part she really likes is putting on the ornaments. And so she takes out the ornaments and she starts putting them on. But it takes her a long time because those little hooks, it's kind of hard sometimes to put them on the branches. So we're patiently waiting for her to put those on. And she has pretty limited reach, you know. She's only so tall, so she can't get them very high. So I actually have to lift her up to put different ones on. Help her to do things that she's not able to do on her own. We get the Christmas tree all, all decorated and I plug it in and we go over to the light switch. And she, she turns off the light switch and we get ready to, to turn it on, the Christmas tree, and she flips it on, turns it, and the tree lights up, and she gasps, and then she comes and stands next to, next to us, and she lets out this big sigh, and she goes, we did it. And I laugh. I kind of chuckled to myself. I said, yeah, we did, we did do it. And in that moment, God spoke to my heart. He said, Tony, that's us. That's us. Could we, could Kayla and I put the Christmas tree up without her? Oh, without a doubt, and way faster. Less of a headache, you know. Could Heavy have put the Christmas tree up without, without us? No, not at all. There's no chance. She couldn't even have gotten the box down. You see, there's something that God requires of us. We co-labor with him, but he wants us to go into the places that are impossible. He wants us to go to the places that are, that are only accomplished with him. And we like to stay in the safe spots. But that's why it's important that we persist in that place of prayer. We come to this place of desperation, of faith, where we say, God, there's no other answer but you. So in verse 4, Jesus continues. He says, so for a while the judge refused. But afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So this, this judge, he's, he's admitted 
to himself that he does not care about other people. Usually someone would probably come and, and try to bribe him. This woman had nothing to offer him. He doesn't care what people think about him. He doesn't reputation or any of that stuff. But because she's continually coming to him, other, other uh, versions say he was so annoyed <laughs> that he granted her justice, that he answered Again, this judge is not an example of God. It's rather the contrast. But the truth is the same, that God rewards persistence. God rewards persistence. But you know what? We don't annoy God. We don't bother God. I think sometimes maybe it's a Midwest thing. We feel like we're bothering God with our problems or we want to make sure we have it all together before we come to him. But we're not bothering God. We're not. It's actually God loves the drawing in. You know, for many of us, we're contending and we want the answer, but God, you know what God wants? He wants your heart. And there's things in life where there's situations in our life that God rescues us from. He just pulls us out of it, and I thank God for that. But there's other times that God is preparing us for something. So he allows us to go through it. And maybe he didn't author the situation, but he's allowing us to go through the fire. So that on the other side, we can have a testimony of God's faithfulness to us. We have a testimony of God is who he says he is. We're, we're very concerned about the destination we want to get there, but God loves the journey because it's in that journey that we, we draw into the heart of God. And he begins to pre- prepare us for something and equip us for something because you know what? We become like who we spend time with. And if you want to be like Jesus, you have to spend time with Jesus. And you have to persist in that place of prayer. And there's times in life where we contend for the things of God. We contend for those answers that are only possible through him. And God draws us into his heart. And and he rewards us in other ways. By giving us courage. By giving us strength. By equipping us for the day. The things that we need. And it's it's that drawing in of the heart. That invitation that God, he brings us in. And he's so, he just wants your heart. That's all he ever wanted was our hearts. Just complete devotion, like Paige was saying today. Just complete surrender. That's what God has always wanted. And sometimes it takes these situations that are desperate for us to come in and say, God, there's, I just surrender. I don't have the answer. But you do. So I'm going to wait, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait for you. So in verse 6, it says this, And then the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. And will not God give justice to his chosen people who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of, God, the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? Jesus is saying persistence. This woman is an impossible situation. We don't even know what it is that her struggle was, but it was an impossible situation. And Jesus is saying, if, if this unrighteous judge will reward persistence, how much more will a God who loves you, a God who'd emptied heaven, how much more will God reward that persistence? How much more will God answer you? We're in Luke 18 by now, and so he, Jesus has already told the story of, of the prodigal son or the loving father, as I'd rather call it. He's revealed to these people, his followers, and to us as we're reading who the heart, what the heart of God looks like. And Jesus is a perfect representation of who God is. 
So he's saying, how much more? How much more? If God chose you, and I want you to know this morning that God chose you, and he doesn't choose wrong. God chose you. How much more will he answer you? How much more will he answer you when you cry out to him day and night? We persist in that place, and we contend for our family. We contend for the people in our lives. How much more will God answer? And then, but then the word that's kind of confusing here is he says speedily. So it's, it's a parable about persisting. But then he says it's speedily. Another version says quickly. But we all know that, that quickly is kind of relative. My daughter thinks that putting her shoes on in 15 minutes is quick, and that is not quick. It's not but God, who is eternal, a thousand years is like the snap of a finger to him. I think it's important for us not to get wrapped up in when it happens. And I can't explain to you God's timing. No one can. We don't know. But we can trust in his character and who he is and what he's done in our lives in the past. And maybe you're just starting out walking with Jesus. I want you to know this morning that God is faithful. He is faithful even when we're not faithful. At the very end, he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? It's kind of a weird question in the context of what we're talking about here because I don't think he's talking about faith, the faith that's required for salvation. Because we know, I mean, it would be a silly question he asks because he knows, he knows there's gonna be believers, you know. He knows there's gonna be followers. But I think it's, in the context of this of this parable, I think he's, he's looking for a specific kind of faith. It's that desperate faith. It's those that are willing to stand when no one else will stand. It's those who will go to the prayer closet when no one's patting them on the back. It's those who say, God, there's no other options. I've gotten rid of all my plan B's, C's, D's, all of them, and I'm just saying, it's you, Jesus, it's just you. I've done everything I know to do in my own power, but God, it's you. And you are faithful. And out of that faith that we have in God, that faith that comes through knowing God, knowing his character, out of that faith comes this hope, this unwavering hope for the future, that God is who he says he is. So those promises he's promised you in the prayer closet, he's going to see it through to the end. And it's not this hope that's way, that goes back and forth like a kite in the wind. It's like it's been said, it's a hope that's an anchor for the soul. It's not just wishful thinking. It's saying, God, I have this hope. And it's keeping me forward because I know you are who you say you are. So I'm going to continue to contend. I'm going to continue to persist. And I don't get to know all the answers. And I, honestly, as a follower of God, I, I've, I find quite a lot of relief <laughs> in not having to know. Because he knows, God knows. God knows. God knows. He knows. He's not surprised. He knows the end from the beginning. He sees your life. So that's why we persist. That's why we continue on. This desperate faith stirs us to persist and, and continue on in the things of God. A few years ago, a number of years ago now, one of my friends, uh, his name is Isaiah, and uh, his, he was preparing, it was a spring, and he was preparing to uh, go on to the mission field in Nicaragua. And um, 
one of the cries of his heart had been for 11 years that his grandmother would come to know Jesus. And uh, he knew that her, while her health was failing, her kidneys um, had failed. She's on dialysis. And um, he knew that if, if he left for the mission field, he was probably never going to see her again. She was going to pass away. And so he had this greater urgency in that time in his life of saying, God, I, I really, I pray, I've been praying for years that you'd soften the heart of my grandma. Soften her heart so that she could come to know you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, just draw her. And as he, the time drew closer, there's just a greater urgency and a desperation came. You see, when Grandma Rose was a, a kid, her mom got saved in a Pentecostal church. She, her husband didn't want anything to do with religion and forbid it in their house, so she would sneak off and <laughs> go to church. And he found out about it, and then she would sneak off into the woods and go to a prayer meeting with some ladies in the woods. Imagine being out in the woods in the winter praying, right? Well, some of uh, Grandma Rose's siblings uh, gave their hearts to the Lord, but for whatever reason, Grandma Rose, she just never wanted anything to do with God. Well, she grew up and she got married and uh, she had kids of her own. And one of her, her sons was his name Dennis, and that's Isaiah's dad. And uh, Dennis was a wild man. It was the 70s, which were, uh, from what I hear, a crazy time. And he just was off the deep end and dr any drug you could think of and just living for himself completely. Well, he's 20 years old. He had this radical experience with Jesus and, God, and Jesus just transformed him. He gave his life to Jesus. Jesus transformed him. He quit drugs that day. Completely devoted to Jesus. Well, he came home and he told Grandma Rose what, what had happened, his mother, uh, what had happened. And uh, she said, oh, that's really great for you, but that's just not for me. I don't want anything to do with that. So he began to pray for his mother. Well, Dennis grew up and he got married and he had kids of his own. And that middle son was, was Isaiah. And Isaiah, too, was a wild man, I can tell you that. He was a wild man. And then when he was 16, a Sunday night service, he came forward at the altar and he gave his life to Jesus. And just like his dad, just this radical transformation happened. He just became a different person. I saw it with my own eyes. Just a different person. And he went home and he told, he told Grandma Rose what had happened. The change that was taking place. And she said, that's great for you, but I, that's just, I don't want anything to do with that. That's fine. That can be your thing. I just, it's just not my thing. So he too began to pray for his grandmother. God, soften her heart. Holy Spirit, draw her heart. Well, years went by, years and years and years went by. Grandma Rose's husband died. Isaiah's grandpa died. And her health, like I said, was failing, and she found herself in an assisted living facility. She moved in, and her roommate was a 96-year-old woman named Margaret. Now, Margaret was a spirit-filled, faith-filled woman of God. But she told Isaiah, she said, I'm 96 years old, Isaiah, and you know, I have no one. And I, I often ask God, God, why am I still here? Why don't you just take me home? Why am I still here? I want you to know if God has given you breath today, he wants to use your life. And so 
every morning, Margaret, she would get up and she would read, read the word and she would pray out loud. And uh, Grandma Rose wasn't very mobile, so she had to sit and endure all this. And so then she would, Margaret would sit and she'd turn the TV on and watch the TV preachers. And then they'd go to lunch and she'd come back and she'd listen to worship music and, and pray some more. And then she'd turn on the TV preachers. And this whole time, Grandma Rose is just a prisoner to all that's going on. She has no, no, no other option. She's the new girl, so. This went on for months, and uh, one day, Grandma Rose heard something in the, in the bathroom, and she went in there, and there was Margaret. She, she had passed away. She was laying there on the, on the bathroom floor. And this just shook Grandma Rose up. I mean, she was just shook by this. She called Isaiah, and she said, Isaiah, can you come over here? This happened. And so he went over there, and and um, he thought, you know, she kind of experienced this traumatic thing. And that's, she was just really, he's like, I've never seen her like that. She was just really shook up. And, and he's like, it was probably just because she, you know, experienced this kind of traumatic thing. One of her friends passed away and she found her. I mean, it's just kind of a big, that's a big deal. Grandma said, Rose said, no, that's not it. That's not it. She said, I, I can't get her face out of my mind. She said, I saw her laying there on the, on the ground in the bathroom. She said, but she had the most peaceful look that I've ever seen in my entire life. The most peaceful look on her face. It was like almost on her face. It was almost like this, this face of joy. She said, why? I don't understand why, why she would have that look on her face. And Isaiah said, I, Grandma, I think it's because she knew she finally gets to go be with Jesus. This day that she'd been longing for for so long. God had been preparing for her. Now was her day. Jesus had been preparing a place for her. And now was the day that she got to go be with her Jesus. And Grandma Rose said, well, how did she know? How can you know that? And Isaiah said, well, she's walked for years with God. He talked to her and she talked to him. She experienced the faithfulness of, of who God is over and over. And then he began to sing that old hymn. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And tears began to roll down Grandma Rosa's face. She says, I need to know. I need to know. So right there, Isaiah got to lead his, his grandmother to the Lord. Two months later, he was getting ready to leave, and his grandmother passed away right before he left. And her funeral, which would have been a very sad day, was a celebration because she too got to go be with her Jesus. But 11 years he prayed. 11 years he prayed. And his dad prayed for 20-some years to persist in that place of prayer, to contend for someone else who wasn't willing to contend for themselves. I think there's some of you here this morning, even as I was praying this week, there's some of you here this morning who have altered your prayers, you've lowered the standard, you've asked for less, or maybe you're just ready this morning to throw in the towel and say, God, you must not care about me. You must not care about my situation. And I'm telling you today, don't throw in the towel. Keep going. Keep going. Dig your, dig your heels in. Say, God, I'm not moving from this spot until an answer comes. Say, God, you are the only hope. You're the only hope for my life. You're the only hope for my situation. 
You're the only one who can draw my, my son who doesn't know you, my, my, my spouse who doesn't know you. You're the only hope for them. For my disease, for my sickness, God, you're the one who provides healing. It's you. For the hopelessness and the emptiness that we feel at times. God, you're the only one that fills. It's only you, Jesus. And out of this desperation comes a faith that God is who he says he is. And he's not a liar. So this morning, if you'll stand, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to come, and I believe that he's going to encourage your heart today. He's going to come and do what only, you, what only he can do. And this morning, this is the point. That everything that has happened in this service up, to, uh, up till now is leading to this point where we respond to God. Where we respond to him, where we surrender parts of ourselves that we have never surrendered before. Or we ask God to come fill us, give us faith that we didn't know was possible, to take us into uncharted territories, away from safety. So we can bow our heads across this place. I want to ask two questions. And um, the first question is this, and, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in response to these questions. And my intention is not to embarrass you or call you out or make you do anything weird. I just want to pray for you, and I want to know who, who I'm praying for. So if you're here this morning, and, and as I was sharing my heart this morning, you could really relate and feel like, man, I've really lowered this, lowered the, the bar of my prayers. I've lost my courage, or I, I felt like giving up. If that's you, would you, you put your hand up? I believe that God wants to empower you to a new place. Yeah. And is there anybody else? Awesome. You can put your hands down. Thank you. I believe that God is going to give you a faith to believe him for more than you ever thought possible. Take you places you never thought you could go. The second question is this. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want one or maybe you've had one in the past but it's just grown cold and stagnant and you need to get your life right with the Lord. If that's you, would you put your hand up? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Jesus is going to transform your life. You know, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic and depressed. And Jesus changed me. He's transformed my life. If you just raised your hand, if you need to get your life right with the Lord, even if you didn't raise your hand, I'm going to say a prayer. And I want you to say one like it in your own heart. God's not looking for the magical formula. He's looking for your heart. So as I pray, I want you to agree with me by saying a prayer similar to this in your own heart. God, I recognize that I'm far from you. But I also recognize my complete need for you, Jesus. So right now, I just surrender every part of who I am to you. I ask you to take my life and not, never give it back. I recognize that there's, there's parts of me that aren't pleasing to you. There's areas of sin in my life, and I just repent, which means I just turn from those things. And now I start pursuing you, Jesus. I pray you wash me, cleanse my heart, and fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give these people a hand who gave their life to Jesus? That's awesome. You know, it just, it doesn't get old to me. This is the first day of someone's life in this room. A journey. It doesn't mean that we're on a journey of perfection. That we're walking with God and we're choosing a new route. 
So if you raise your hand for that first question, let's just, just agree with me as I pray for you. God, I thank you for these precious people. And Lord, you know every single one of us in this room. You know us better than we even know ourselves. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people that you marvel at our faith. That you are so impressed that we would ask for such big things, sometimes seemingly ridiculous things. But you'd be impressed by our faith, Lord. And I pray, God, that that would cause us to persist in that place of prayer, knowing that you're equipping us for something, but knowing that you're not, you're not, you're not being spiteful. You're not trying to be mean. But I pray you show us who you are in a greater way today. Show us your heart, Lord. We love you, God. Everything that we, everything that we are, everything we have is because of you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, specifically to somebody here that you've just been praying for something for a really long time, and today you're like, I'm gonna, I just, I don't think I'm gonna ask anymore. It just seems so impossible. God is saying, don't stop, don't stop. He's not passed you by. He's not passed you by. He hasn't forgotten you. Lord, we just submit. And like, like we sang earlier, there's such a joy in just surrendering to you. What an exchange. We give you all of our junk, our imperfect lives, and you fill us to overflowing with your love with your grace, with your joy, with your peace, with your courage. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.